Warmer, sunnier days are finally arriving. As outside is calling, Factor is here to make sure that however busy you get, your meals are taken care of, giving you all the energy and time to enjoy that weather. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and, oh yes, blackened salmon. Don't mind if I do. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine and give yourself time to focus on what makes you happy. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash danjones50 and use code danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code danjones50 at factormeals.com slash danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Before we start, just a quick warning that this episode will feature violence and sexual content that may not be suitable for everyone. The Emperor Otto shields his eyes against the blazing afternoon sun and looks up and down the field. As far as the eye can see, there are soldiers. Thousands upon thousands of them. Some are in the saddle, trying to calm their horses as they snort and stamp. Others are on foot, their armour clanking as they butt heads to psych themselves up. Somewhere in the distance, trumpets are blowing. Around him, Emperor Otto can hear a hubbub of different languages. Men shout instructions and encouragement to one another in dialects of German, Flemish, French and even English, making last-minute demands for weapons or water, yelling abuse. They speak half a dozen languages and more because the soldiers in Otto's army come from all across Western Europe. They're united by a single common enemy. The King of France, Philip Augustus. Otto's army and Philip's have been stalking one another for days, fainting and second-guessing each other as they trample the countryside of northern France and Flanders. Now, on the 27th of July, 1214, they're finally facing off, in a field near a bridge called Bouvine. They're going to do something crazy, something very few leaders in the early 13th century would ever risk. They're going to fight a full-blown pitched battle. As in, my whole army versus your whole army, on an open field, Nowhere to hide. May the best general win. Otto surveys his troops and realises that virtually no one on either side of the field will have done anything like this before. Skirmishes? Sure. Sieges? Plenty. Lots of these soldiers have stormed castles and got stuck into the melee in tournaments. But straight-up battles are another matter entirely. You only fight them if you really, really have to. A battle represents God's final judgement on a quarrel. Lose, and there's no coming back. There's so much at stake, 
so much resting on the events of a single day's fighting that sensible leaders normally do everything they can to avoid one. Today is different. Both sides have now gone too far to back down. Neither leader can afford to lose face or lose ground. There's only one option open to them. Fight and win. From the lines behind him, Otto's standard bearer brings up his battle flag. It's a golden eagle above a dragon, raised on a towering pole, so all in his army can see it. On Philip's side, fluttering somewhere across the field, is the Oriflamme, the sacred French banner. It supposedly dates back to the time of Philip's idol, Charlemagne, the famous 9th century ruler of both France and Germany. It's traditionally kept in the Abbey of Saint-Denis, north of Paris, but for hundreds of years it's been whipped out whenever the French crown has to fight. Otto knows all about this history, of course. He was born into the highest circles of European royalty. Because Otto is a Plantagenet. His grandparents were Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine. His mother was their eldest daughter, Matilda, Duchess of Saxony, which makes King John his uncle. And that's why Otto is here today. The Plantagenets are banding together to take back what's theirs. John and Otto have been military allies for the last few years, and until recently they shared the dubious distinction of both being excommunicated by the Pope. This battle is the culmination of their mission to join forces in a grand anti-French alliance, invading simultaneously and crushing Philip once and for all. But today, on the 27th of July 1214, John is nowhere to be seen. He is in France. He brought a massive army over the Channel with him. The plan was that John would run distraction with his troops, forcing Philip to chase him around, while Otto marched on Paris. Then they would meet up to celebrate their triumph. Had they managed to execute their strategy, Philip would probably be in their custody already. Unfortunately, Philip didn't fall for John's feint, and remains very much at large. He's standing over the other side of the battlefield at Bouvines, rousing his troops with a speech in which he calls Otto and his allies the enemies and destroyers of all things holy. And John? Well, he failed to bait Philip into a chase, the men who were supposed to be following him got cold feet, and instead of joining forces with Otto, he bailed. He's now lying low at La Rochelle, hundreds of miles away from the battle, waiting for news. It's not ideal. Then again, it's expected from John. And Otto isn't too worried. He has plenty more allies with him, all of them paid handsomely from John's war chest, built up over many years of extorting his barons and plundering the church. The battle is happening, whether John's on board or not. From the French side of the field comes an enormous blast of trumpets. 
and with blood-curdling screams, the first wave of French knights begins galloping towards Otto's men. The Emperor wipes the sweat out of his eyes and pulls down his helmet. His future and the fate of the entire Plantagenet Empire dangle on what unfolds this one short, bloody afternoon. I'm Dan Jones, and from Sony Music Entertainment, this is History. A Dynasty to Die For, Season 3, Episode 8, The Battle of Bouvines. John's reign as King of England has been dominated by his determination to win back Plantagenet lands in France. Lands he lost to Philip Augustus when he was new to the throne and didn't understand just how hard the job of kingship was. Or, for that matter, how expensive. But as John's reign has gone on, he's come to accept that there are no shortcuts. Just holding on to territory is an all-consuming task. Winning it back is no different. That's why John has his nephew Otto fighting for him at the Battle of Bouvines in 1214. John has figured out that he has no chance of beating the French king in a one-to-one -one fight. He needs allies. An Avengers-style team who can saddle up and hit Philip from all angles. So for the past few years, John has been funnelling money in the form of, well, bribes, to a coalition of partners on the continent. This includes high-ranking nobles on the fringes of the French kingdom, in places like Flanders and Boulogne. These are areas where Philip has been throwing his weight around, and the lords who hold power there are happy to buddy up with anyone who might stop the French king from overrunning their lands. Especially if this buddying will bring them in a fat fee. This policy of bribing potential allies isn't John's brainchild. It was a central part of his brother Richard the Lionheart's approach. John has simply resurrected it, and funded it from the profits he made plundering the church during the interdict. Among the crack team John has assembled are two Plantagenets. One is John's half-brother, who goes by William Longsword, an illegitimate son of Henry II. Longsword is an experienced military commander and very loyal to John. In the run-up to Bouvines, he led a daring assault on Philip Augustus's naval fleet, which was anchored near Bruges. Longsword sailed in, burned many of the ships, and scattered or captured the rest. At Bouvines, he'll be heading up the right flank of the Allied army. Then there's Otto. John's nephew is less experienced than Longsword, but he was practically raised by the most talented general the Plantagenets ever produced. Richard. Matilda may have been Otto's mum, but the Lionheart took him on as a kind of surrogate son, granting him some of his most prized territories. Richard even managed to have Otto elected as King of Germany, following the death of Heinrich VI, 
the guy who'd kept Richard locked in jail for all those years. This was controversial, to say the least, and it took Otto years to win recognition from all the German nobles that he should be the rightful king. He got there in the end, though, and in 1209, Pope Innocent III formally crowned Otto as Holy Roman Emperor. That's the traditional title that kings of the German territories get from the church. Yet right away, in true Plantagenet style, Otto fell out with Innocent. Very badly. As we know, Innocent's not the hardest guy in the world to fall out with. When he loses it with Otto, it's a row over who rules Sicily if you really want to know, Innocent pulls a similar stunt. He excommunicates Otto, then he proposes a brand new Holy Roman Emperor, a guy called Frederick Hohenstaufen. Now I realise all this might be melting your brain, but I'm telling you because it's vital to understanding what Otto is doing on that battlefield at Bouvines. He's backing his uncle John to the hilt for three good reasons. First, because John is willing to hand out money to his allies, and Otto needs money to fight for his own crown. Second, because he's family, and maybe he feels that counts for something. And third, because he has his own very intense beef with the French king Philip Augustus. When the Pope tried to edge Otto out by declaring that Frederick Hohenstaufen was the new Holy Roman Emperor, Philip Augustus gave Frederick his backing. In other words, it's personal. And that brings us back to Bouvines itself. John is missing in action, but Otto is more than prepared to take down Philip Augustus without him. When the Oriflamme banner is raised, he's ready. There's a very evocative account of what happens at Bouvines, which was written in a nearby abbey just after the battle took place. It reads like a Hollywood action sequence. The horses' bridles were tightened, the armour shone in the splendour of the sun, and it seemed that the light of the day was doubled. The banners unfolded in the winds and offered themselves to the currents. They presented a delightful spectacle to the eyes. The armies, thus ordered for battle on each side, entered into combat, full of ardour and desire to fight. Very soon the dust rose toward the sky in such quantities that it became hard to see and to recognise each other. The first French echelon attacked the enemy with virility, breaking their echelons by nobly cutting across them, and penetrated their army through all impetuous and tenacious movement. Does the battle really look so marvellous? In truth, probably not. For every beautiful glint of armour in the summer sunshine, there's probably someone half-blinded and choking on dust, flailing around, trying to hit anyone they can, and just doing their best not to wet themselves, or, you know, die. The fighting is absolutely ferocious, and everyone gets their hands dirty. Other accounts of the Battle of Bouvines are full of reports of lords and knights charging one another, getting knocked off their horses and sustaining serious injuries. 
A lot of the higher-ranking men present at Bouvines will have practised for this sort of moment in tournaments. One chronicler reports that Valorous men who were there say they had never seen such good tourneying as occurred during this battle. In tournaments, though, it's a game. This is deadly serious. People are dying, and the future of Europe hangs in the balance. And as the fighting rages, something astonishing happens. Something that may reshape the politics of the whole continent. Otto's army is formed up into three divisions, with the emperor himself commanding the central one. Even through the dust, Otto and the knights alongside him spot the blood-red banner, the French Oriflamme. They know that's where Philip Augustus is, and they start hacking their way through the press of men towards him. There's chaos all around them, but they grind their way forward until they can see Philip himself. They can almost smell him, and they can certainly reach him. Someone on horseback thrusts a lance forward, and it glances off the French king's armour. Some of Otto's other soldiers are armed with long spears with hooked ends, and they thrust these towards Philip. They don't get him, but they manage to trip up his horse. The animal falls. Philip goes down with it. The most experienced and dangerous king in Europe is on the ground. All his enemies have to do is finish him off. When Henry III chose his royal advisers, he ended up with some very untrustworthy power grabbers, which led to poor management decisions, rebellions, and at least one person in prison. Why didn't he use Indeed? Well, Indeed wasn't around back then, but it is today. Indeed is the ultimate hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and matching technology that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. When I was hiring, I didn't use Indeed either and the process was very slow and stressful, so I wish I had. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
As we know very well by now, there are plenty of nasty ways to die in the Middle Ages. One of them is on display at Bouvines. Although there are a few thousand mounted knights on the field, the majority of the combatants are infantry, local French militias and, on Otto's side, hired mercenaries. While knights are bound by the code of chivalry, these mercenaries play by their own rules. When they spot an enemy knight slung off his horse, helpless in his heavy armour, they don't stride valiantly up and make the stricken man a captive for ransom. They run in and slide a thin, sharp blade through the visor of his helmet, through his eye and into his brain. When Philip Augustus goes down at Bouvines, that could well be his fate. All those years restoring the glory of France, the crusading, the struggles with the Plantagenets, it could all be over with one thrust of cold steel. Inside a metal helmet, it's hot, loud and claustrophobic at the best of times. Over the clashes and yells of the battle outside, Philip must be able to hear his blood thudding in his ears. He must be thinking, there's a good chance this is it. Then arms grab him. Suddenly, he's upright again and being thrust back onto a horse. Someone else's horse. He can see across the carnage again. He can see that the battle is far from over. In fact, his fall seems to have galvanised his own side, and now there's a swell of troops around him in the French centre. They start counter-attacking Otto's centre and driving the Emperor backwards. He's no longer in touching or stabbing distance of Philip. In fact, French warriors are getting close to him. One of them has a go at Otto with a dagger, narrowly misses and takes out his horse's eye. The horse panics and bolts. The Emperor only just escapes capture or death himself. Like Philip, he has to be given a different horse just to stay in the game. Having been so close to glory, Otto now feels the tide turning against his men. The day is sealed when shouts go up from the far side of the field. Cries of French jubilation. Word is being passed frantically along the lines that one of the most senior nobles on Otto's side, the Count of Flanders, has been captured. It's a pivotal moment. Otto's soldiers, as one chronicler puts it, started to tremble and one after another began to take flight. Seeing this, the valorous men of France charged. The battle is turning into a rout. It's over. The French are unstoppable and they're taking prisoners left, right and centre. There's a fierce last stand in which a lord loyal to Otto, called Reginald Damartin, and about 800 mercenaries hold off wave after wave of French knights charging them. They're eventually captured, but they buy the rest of Otto's army time to escape. Otto and his men have fought bravely, and many of them live to see another day, but there's no getting away from the fact that this is a crushing defeat.
Otto has lost thousands of men. The Count of Flanders and William Longsword have been taken prisoner, along with other important nobles. The French even capture Otto's war banner after that soaring golden eagle is left trampled in the mud by fleeing troops. Otto's hopes of defending his full imperial title from Frederick Hohenstaufen have been dealt a terrible blow. The coalition of loose allies, brought together by their desire to defeat Philip Augustus, has been shattered. Those French lords who are bribed to join the Plantagenet side are in for some harsh punishment from their triumphant king. But Bouvine is most disastrous of all for the guy who wasn't even there. It'll take a few days for the news of this catastrophe to make it down to La Rochelle. But when word does finally come, the implications will be crystal clear. John bet the house on his allies defeating Philip Augustus and opening up the way for him to reconquer the Plantagenet Empire. They've been smashed. Philip is victorious, again. John has lost a fortune in the process, and the old Plantagenet Empire has never been further from his grasp. All his work over the last decade was for nothing. John risked his reputation by pushing his barons to support a war they were barely half interested in fighting. He risked his immortal soul by falling out with the Pope and plundering the church. He risked the unity of his family by drawing his nephew Otto into his war with the King of France. He gambled his whole reign on winning at Bouvines. He lost. And he wasn't even there when it happened. All John can do now is go back to England and face the music. That's next time on This Is History. If you can't wait till next week, don't worry, because we have a subscriber episode waiting for you on This Is History Plus, where I dive into all the details we didn't have time for in this episode. This week, it's a post-match analysis of Bouvines. Why did John and his allies miss the big prize? How close was it? Who exactly was Frederick Hohenstaufen? And why do I have the raging hots for him? Just visit This Is History on Apple Podcasts and click Try Free at the top of the page to start your free trial today. Or visit thisishistorypod.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts.